welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 13. Um, it's in, the, it's in a, the book in the New Testament. It's the fourth book in um, the Gospel of John. And if you have a Bible exactly like mine, it's page 900. <laughs> Maybe you don't. <laughs> like, that wasn't helpful, Luke. All right. <laughs> um, second half of the book, John 13. So um, excited to see you all. Um, I love hearing the pages rustle. Um, it just means that you guys love God's word, and um, it's just a privilege to to preach to a group that loves God's word. Um, it is the strength of my life, the strength of my family's life, and uh, I pray and I know and I hope that it is the strength of your life too. Um, and so, um, if you've come been coming to twenties for any length of time, you know. There hasn't been a Thursday where this book isn't open, um, and it's because we believe in its authority, its strengthening power, that it is the very words of God. The word of God is, is it's God-breathed, is, is the word for it, um, divinely inspired, and so um, that is why we open it up, and uh, the section of God's word we are looking at is John 13, verse 31 to 38. And I just want to give you a, a couple um, key points of context before jumping in. Because this is a really unique section of the Gospels. You know, most of the Gospels cover weeks, months, and years of Jesus' life. But this four-chapter stretch, John 13 to 17, covers one night. One night of Jesus' life. And it is the night of the Passover meal. It is the night of Jesus' betrayal. It is the night of Jesus praying in the garden and his disciples fall asleep on him, right? And it is the night that the soldiers come and Judas betrays him with a kiss and Peter cuts off Malchus' ear in, a, in, a, in defiance and Jesus heals it. And Jesus is put through these mock trials and he is he's mocked and he's, he's, um, people lie and they testify against him falsely. This is the night before he is crucified. And what's amazing is that he is about to go through these things, but, and, and, the, and yet he turns his heart toward encouragement. He turns his heart to strengthen his disciples. He turns his heart towards them. <clears throat> the disciples are about to go to one of the lowest points of their life, of their ministry with Jesus, They've spent every day of the last three years, maybe not every day, every, many weeks, weeks on weeks with Jesus. Um, he has become like a father to them. And, and so here, like a father with his young children, um, Jesus is going to give them encouragement before he dies. And so my sermon title is called Parting Encouragement. Parting Encouragement, because that's what it is. It literally reads like someone's, um, it's like Jesus' last words. Um, 
the, you know, a deathbed conversation almost. Uh, what is Jesus going to say to his disciples in John chapter 13? So let's read, let's pick it up. I want to start in verse 27. I'm going to be preaching from verse 31, but I want to back up and give some context. Verse 27, then after Jesus, or sorry, <laughs> then after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why, this, why he had said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And thus, starting the whole process of Jesus' crucifixion. And so, in verse 31, it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. In fact, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I, fo why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow, the rooster will not awake the dawn until you have denied me three times. These begin Jesus' parting words to his disciples, and they are words of encouragement. And so despite all the, um, the events coming, um, Jesus tells them to trust the plan. Trust the plan. That's point number one. If you're taking notes, the first encouragement of Jesus is to trust the plan, disciples. <clears throat> You know, it's, plans are always are nice, right? Um, if someone tells you there's a plan, it makes it easier to go through with whatever you're about to go through with, right? Like, I can endure some bumpy roads if I know this is part of the plan. We're, we're going somewhere. It's, it's, um, this is, we're arriving somewhere. And, um, and so this, that's why Jesus says, y'all, this is part of the plan. Um, and so I get that in verse 31. Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. Now is the moment of my glory. Um, real quick, no one else can make that statement. Um, anybody else who is glorified by men, is that's uh, idolatry. Only Jesus can be glorified and it glorify God. And that's speaking to Jesus' divinity, that he is God. Um, but here Jesus is saying, disciples, you are going to go to the depths of despair. This is a dark moment. But it is actually the moment of most light. It is actually according to the plan. It is actually for my glory, for my praise. <clears throat> and so uh, first, um, 
So yeah, you saw that in verse 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Um, you know, interesting, how could Jesus be glorified um, in a betrayal? But we'll get there. First of all, what is glory? We've got to talk about glory. Um, glory <laughs> is a word that appears all over the Bible, but God's glory refers to his character, his weightiness. Um, it's, it's like the, the wow of God. So if you've been to the Grand Canyon, um, there's a feeling that you get when you stand on the edge. Well, hopefully you don't stand on the edge. <laughs> but you stand near the edge, and you, as you look across, it's, it's just vast. It's huge. And you're overcome with this feeling of smallness and this feeling of awe. That's the, the weightiness, the glory of the Grand Canyon. And so when we're talking about God's glory, it's his character. It's, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's his character. That's why um, in Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the what? Glory. Glory of God. It's not saying, um, you know, the heavens are literally, you know, singing. They have, has a guitar out and, you know, leading worship. No, it's saying that it's the heavens are speaking that there is a God. There is a God. And it takes more faith to believe that there is no God than that there is a God. Because creation is testifying, the Bible says. Creation is screaming. This was made. This was created by a creator. And so creation is, is saying uh, is pointing to the glory of God. Um, another passage that refers to God's glory is Isaiah 6. Um, and I'm going to turn there. You don't have to, but it's the prophet Isaiah. He gets to see the Lord. And, and um, I'll just read it. Isaiah 6.1 says, in the, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And verse 4, um, yeah, and one of the angels called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, the evidence of, of his character. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me. I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's that feeling when you, when you get to see something grand, you are blown away. And Isaiah sees the, the most grand picture of all, the Lord, and he is laid low. He sees glory. Moses also saw glory, right? Uh, Exodus 34, he asks the Lord, he has the audacity to say, Lord, show me your glory. And God actually shows it to him. And what does God say? He's, um, God says, look at my mercy. Look at my steadfast love. Look at my patience. Look at my faithfulness. Look at my grace. Um, that's what God proclaims in front of Moses. That is his glory. Um, and so God's glory is his character. Um, now, glory in the verse we're reading is a verb. It's, it's glorify, or like um, we are all called to glorify the Lord, but that just means to bring praise to him, to show off his character. And so when Jesus comes down and says, now is the Son of Man glorified, you see that in verse 31, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. What is he referring to? What is so glorifying to him in this moment? 
Remember, G- Judas had just walked out to betray him. What he's referring to is the cross. The whole sequence of him being delivered up to the cross to pay the penalty of sin. To take our place. See, the, see, the cross is the moment of most glory. You see, humans are guilty. This is what the gospel is. Um, you know, if you're new to the faith, I want you to know this. That, that humans are guilty in the courtroom of God's justice. We're all, we all stand guilty because we naturally do not love God. We don't naturally love God, and so we all stand in the guilty seat. Yet, in love, God the Father sent Jesus to take our place on the guilty seat, on the stand, to be sentenced and to pay the full penalty of sin. Jesus took that. And if we receive him, if we receive him by faith, our sin gets forgiven. We can be forgiven. And we can live in newness of life because of his resurrection. He has power over sin. We have no power over sin. He has the power. And we can live in this new life. And this is the amazing news that Jesus has now set into motion when he says, go and do what you have to do, Judas. And it's this moment of darkness that is actually the moment of most light. Um, You know, the cross is... Uh, you know, there are many mountain peaks of glory in the Bible. There are many uh, places that we see God's glory perfectly. But this, in the cross, the cross is like Mount Everest, the Mount Everest of God's glory. It is the peak of God's glory. God's glory is most displayed in the cross, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the cross is like, uh, to put it another way, the cross is like Um, an IMAX theater for God's glory. It is the place where we see it on display in the most glorious place. John Calvin put it like this. Nowhere, nowhere does the glory of God shine brighter than in the cross. God's holiness, his love for sinners, his righteousness, his mercy... His justice, his perfect justice, his grace, all is uh, displayed in the cross. Sin has been forgiven. The way to God opened. A relationship with God is restored. It is in the cross that the kindness of God is displayed. Is it not? It is in the cross that, that we our sins are forgiven and we are given newness of life, transformation. None of us have the power to walk in newness of life. But the power of the resurrection transforms us into new creatures. And one of my, uh, one of my favorite pictures of this change, so uh, mind break, illustration. Um, it comes from the life of uh, Augustine. He's a, he was a bish- bishop of Hippo um, in the uh, 300 to 400 AD. And um, so like many of us, he, he pursued his sin in his younger days. He had a life of sin, a very licentious life. Um, and after his conversion to Christianity, he, uh, he met a woman on the street who had been a companion to him in his former sin. And so she, she said to him, she recognized him and said, Augustine, Augustine. And he made no answer. And she called after him and again said, Augustine, it is I. And he turned and said, I know, but it is not I. For the old Augustine is dead. And I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
I love that story, right? Like, that is the reality that the cross allows, that we can live in newness of life. And I don't know about you, I remember what it was like to live in my sin, to live under it. I don't want to go back to that. And I walk in newness of life, not because I'm strong, not because I have this this strength about me. No, it's because of the transformational power of the resurrection that Jesus defeated the grave, that he has power over sin, and that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead works in you, believer, to kill your sin. That is the glory of the cross. What a glorious triumph of the cross. The moment of darkness was actually the moment of most light. Now is the Father glorified. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Disciples, you guys are de- you guys are going to be tempted to be depressed, to be sad, to lose hope, but oh, take hope. Be encouraged, disciples. The cross is the moment of most glory. Trust the plan. This is the plan. And so for us, right, the disciples, their message was trust the plan, but ours is to meditate on the cross daily. That's the takeaway for us. If we want to understand God, we must study the cross. If we want to be transformed into the image of Jesus, we must study the cross. The cross is not the starting line of Christianity. It is Grand Central Station, one commentator said. We can never leave the cross. Near the cross, be my glory ever. It is looking at the glory of God that changes us. It is beholding the glory of God It is meditating on the cross, right? Because the cross is Mount Everest of God's glory. That we are changed. And and again, that idea is not from me. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled faces are looking in a mirror at the glory of God. And this is how it works. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And if I could just impress one thing upon you, Christian, is that you should never leave the cross. Never leave thinking upon the cross. I was thinking this week as I was studying this, I uh, packed my life really full the last two weeks and didn't have enough time to think on this reality. And the Lord was kind to me to make this the the first roadblock for me to study tonight. Um, Never leave the cross, never to leave meditating on it. So Jesus says, trust the plan, disciples. I'm encouraging you. But number two, fulfill your ministry. That's point number two. Fulfill your ministry, disciples. You are going to be tempted to fall away. Most of you are, all of you are going to be nowhere to be seen tomorrow. (laughs) But fulfill your ministry. So look at it, uh, verse 33, little children. And again, that's an endearing term. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. You can't come. And I love this, uh, this verse because um, as, a, as a father to young children, you, I know the difficulty, and some of you do, uh, of telling kids, you can't come. <laughs> Try telling a young child, no, you can't come. Uh, we're going to a party. We're going to this fun park, but you can't come. Like That just doesn't work with little kids. <laughs> But, Daddy, why? Well, because you have a bedtime. But why? Because uh, sleep is good for you. But why? Because 
God made you like that. Why? Well, I don't know why God created you like that. For his glory. Well, why? You know, and just, it's really hard to tell a kid, you can't come. And so um, a good story of this is recently my wife and I took our daughter and son um, to, don't put it up yet, uh, but um, we took, took my kids to the company party. Um, so my company does a, uh, a, I think we call it Founders Day. It's a celebration. So my company brings all these bouncy houses and face painting and all this, you know, fun kid stuff. And, uh, and so we took her, and my wife kept saying, like, you know, we're going to daddy's work. We're going to daddy's work. So you could throw up pictures of it. Um, this is me and Letty at, uh, going down this slide. And you can see her face is like, <gasps> you know. She's not loving it, but that's, you know, so that's, uh, next year she'll love that slide. And then if you go to the next picture. Yeah, so she was happy. Then she got happy, and, and so there's all these bouncy houses and stuff. And, but now, every time I go to work, she thinks I, works at a, I work at a bouncy house place. <laughs> it's like, Daddy, can I go to work with you? Uh, no, not today, but I really want to. She, like, literally thinks we face paint and, uh, you know, blow up balloons and go down slides at my work. It's pretty funny. So it's very hard to tell my daughter no, right? No, you can't come with me. Um, and, uh, you know, while the disciples here aren't actually little children, um, some estimates actually put them in their young teens to mid-20s. So they're not, they're not young children, but they are um, they are young, and in a, in a greater sense, Jesus had acted as their father figure for much of their ministry. He had mentored them. He had loved them. Countless conversations on the road, countless teachings, um, the amount of patience Jesus had over the years. Uh, you know, they, they had gotten used to being with him. And so for him to say, you can't come with me. Over the last three years, you, you've been tagging along, but you can't come with me now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. You see that in verse 33? And so note, I mean, note the kindness of Jesus. Little children here is a term of endearment. But what he's saying is, um, not that you can't come, because in verse 36, um, skip down, Jesus says to Peter, uh, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow what? After. You'll come later. So he's not saying, you can't come with me at all, but what he's saying is, you can't come with me, what? Yet. You can't come with me yet. Why? Because you have my will to do yet, disciples. You have my work to do. Um, and, you know, in, you know, Jesus is saying, basically, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Fear not disciples step in to what i am sending you to do and the good news is i think they did acts 3 right peter preaching preaching straight fire <laughs> straight fire um peter's i'm just going to read it he, you know he 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 um Verse 13, he, this is, so Peter, in this moment, he denies the Lord. He, he's cowering in fear, but here he is. A few chapters later, a few books later, he says in verse 13, the God of Abraham, he's talking to those who rejected Jesus. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the, 
the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified Jesus, whom you delivered and crucified. And you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, right? They healed a man. So he's testifying to the, the glory of God here. And so he's, he's literally hearing, he, he's getting the message that Jesus is saying. It's not your time yet, Peter. And, and, um, and this reminds me of, of another verse. And some of y'all know this verse in Colossians 4.17. But it reminds me of what Paul says to a brother working in the church, Archippus. Um, in verse 17, Paul says to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that God has given you, Archippus. God has given you a ministry to steward. And I know some days are hard. Some days are discouraging. Some days you want to quit. Some days you feel discouraged. But Christ is your strength. I am your strength. And fulfill the ministry that I'm sending you out to do. That, that's what this text feels like to me. Jesus is saying, your time's not yet. Your time to come home is not yet. Fulfill your ministry and I think that's so applicable for us, right? If you're a Christian, if you are in the family of God today, you have, and you're breathing, it's not time yet to go home and see the Lord, right? It's not time yet. We have work to do. Hear God and the Spirit of God calling to you. See that you fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Oh, I'm not a pastor. I don't have any ministry. Yeah, you do. The pastors are to equip us for the work of ministry. That's why God gave the pastors, Ephesians 4, we are to do the work in the ministry. And so God is speaking to you through the word. See that you fulfill the ministry that God has given you. You're like, what ministry do I have? You have influence. You have ministry. You, God has placed you where you are. You're like, I don't know. Yes, yes. Where you are is not by accident. It is intentional. God has placed you there. He has given you, uh, he has given you resources. He has given you influence. If he has placed you there, that means he's called you there. And if he's called you there, that means he's equipped you for whatever you are going to face, whatever you're going to have to speak into. You have everything you need for life and godliness. You know, many of us here tonight are called to go into the marketplace to serve the Lord with some skill, craft in the business world, the medical field, the, the education field, to be, uh, to be mothers and fathers Go and do that. Fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Glorify God in what he has given you. You have gifts. You have been given. You have been forgiven, Christian. You have been transformed into a new creation. Fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Don't shy away. Don't be discouraged by the, the evil of the world that is coming. Fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Work passionately for the Lord. And as you do, you'll get more influence. As you do good work, as you do skillful work, as you do excellent work, as you speak for the Lord, you will get more influence. And you will bring more glory to your Father in heaven. That is why we exist. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, and we should be too. Trust the plan, disciples, Jesus says. Fulfill your ministry. And point number three, be known for your love. Be known for your love, disciples. Check out verse 34. He says, a new commandment, disciples, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another, just as I have loved you. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, every organization is known for something. Families are typically known for things. You know, we, families look the same. You know, maybe businesses are known for their service or their quality. Their churches are known for their, you know, visitor, new visitor acceptance or something. But Jesus is saying that those in his family should be known by their love. That's what he's saying. And the word for love here is agapao, and it's the same word God uses in John 3.16, where he says, God so what? God so loved agapao, the world, that he gave his only son. So that word loved is a sacrificial love. It is a emptying love. It is uh, love to the nth degree. It is, a, it is a love that displays God's affection for the world, moved to action. God sent his own son, gave him up to death. That is the love that we are called to as Christians. Sacrificial love. Not the love of the world that only loves if loved in return. I'll love as long as you gave me a Christmas present. You know, contractual, you love me if I love you. or No, God has called us to sacrificially love. And notice what he says. Um, we are to love one another. Talking about this, the church, talking about one another. We're, we're to be known for our community love, our, our community of love. So, um... Let's break this down more. Verse 34 says a new commandment. Is this a new commandment? Love's a new commandment? Before in the Old Testament there was no love. We weren't called to love. And Jesus is saying, this is brand new. Now you're going to love people. Is that what he's saying? Have I confused you enough? <laughs> How is this new? Okay, so it's new in two ways. Hold up your two. It's new in two ways. Number one, it's new in that love has been given a new standard. There's a new standard of love. It's Jesus' act of, of humbling himself and dying on the cross and resurrected. Never before have we seen such an example of love. Never have before have we seen this. And so it's new in that way. We've never seen love demonstrated in this way before. Number two, how is it new? It's new in that it inaugurates a new community that he is establishing. What's the new community that Jesus inaugurates in the New Testament? What is it? It's the church. And, and he is saying it is new because there's this new community that's going to be marked by love. And so we also, disciples of Jesus, are to be known by our love. How are we doing in that? Are we known for our love? You know, the good news is that Jesus' love here is our example, but is also our, our energy to love. You know, Jesus' love here is like a great power grid enabling us to love. It is the power behind our love. I like to think of a, um, a bike that's, have you ever rode one of those electric bikes, bikes that as you pedal, it like, pedals with you. Anybody ever rode one of those electric bikes? Bikes, Not the ones where you like can't pedal at all, but the ones where you like are pedaling and it's helping you as you go. 
and it's that battery pack that's allowing you to go up the hill and powering you to go 700 miles. You could never bike that far without one of those bikes. And it's the same thing with Jesus' love. Jesus' love is what enables us to love as he did. You see here, um, the disciples were on the, uh, in the moment of dis- were about to embark on a moment of despair. They were about to see their beloved Savior die. And they might be tempted to hate and to rage against the arresters of Jesus. Peter even cut off the ear of, of, the, of Malchus and Jesus you know, healed. But Jesus was calling his disciples to something new, to be known by their love. You will be known by your love, disciples. And I love this too. I notice that in the text it says, um, you, you'll be known by your love. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. So, hey guys, commandment to love one another. But then he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Um, and, and the truth is that it is the Spirit of God going to work in our heart that produces this love. It is that when the Holy Spirit goes to work in your heart, this is the type of love that is produced. And I think that's, in, that's encouraging because it's not, uh, oh, now we just got to put on love. We got to try to pin love onto our sleeve and, you know, this is really hard. No, when the Spirit of God goes to work in your heart, it will be the overflow of your life. You will love as Christ loved. You will get, you will improve and you will get better in that. So disciples, let's be known by our love. And I, I totally blew, blew it. And I should have said that, like, this is, a, this is a massive thing I missed at the beginning. So, but, <laughs> so what I want to say, too, is that this is applicable for us. Yes, it is. It is applicable for us, but even in a greater way. Because this whole discourse is applied to believers of all time. Because in John chapter 17, Jesus literally prays for the disciples in the room. But he also prays for all those who would ever believe. He says, I do not ask for these only. This is verse 20 of, verse, of chapter 17. I do not pray for these only, my disciples in the room, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so what this is, is yes, these are encouragements for the disciples, but these are encouragements for us. So let's be known by our love. And then finally, number four, point number four, distrust your own strength. As you go into the world, distrust your own strength. Let's check it out. Um, verse 36, Simon Peter said to the Lord, Lord, where are you going? And I love this. He almost like, <laughs> Jesus is like, I'm going to give you this new commandment. It's brand new. Uh, it's like, I'm going to show you this new example, a new community. You're going to love one another. And, Jesus, and um, Peter's like, Wait, you're leaving? Skip over the love thing. You're leaving? <laughs> I'm not leaving, Mav. Don't worry. I'll see you at home. <laughs> um, and so Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said, Lord, why cannot I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And so... Peter, uh, you know, often in, it's, it's in our, our highest moments um, of pride that we fall the farthest. And 
And this point is all about distrusting your own strength. We're all, we're all prideful beings. We like to, to be good at things, right? We like to, people to know that we're got things under control. We like people to see that we're successful. We like people to think that, you know, we have our spiritual walk under control. And we, we like to project that. Like, I'm doing good, y'all. My Bible reading's great. And we like to project that. But, oh, be careful. Learn to distrust your strength, to suspect your strength. Because oftentimes it's when we are in our highest moment that we fall the farthest. This is what, um, I deleted it from my notes, but I think it's Proverbs 16. It says, pride comes before destruction. Pride, haughtiness, I'm awesome, comes. And it's like, oh, right after that is <laughs> destruction. Destruction. Pride comes before destruction. And so here Peter is, he's fixated, and he makes an arrogant statement. He says, Lord, I can follow you. I can do this. Why can't I do it? Why can't I follow you? And Jesus lovingly says, man, you're, you're not actually going to follow me. You're actually going to deny me three times. And I'm going to have to restore you at the end of this book. And I'm going to have to say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I will restore you, and you will be an instrument of my, of, my, uh, of my work, and you will go and preach for me, but right now, and in the next 24 hours, I will show you how weak you are because you don't yet see it. You're not as strong as you believe, Peter. And any strength that you do have, Peter, is from me. Any victory, any success that you receive, Peter, is from me. And so that's, I love that because that's a good reminder for us Christians. We need to distrust our own strength. In the moment that we feel on top of our spiritual walk, we need to get low. Because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Whether you've been a Christian for a day, you just got saved, or you've been a Christian for 50 years, you are not strong enough to live for God on your own. You are not strong enough. I don't care. You just got saved. You've been, a, you've been saved since you were two, and you've been walking with the Lord 50 years. You are not strong enough, believer. And that's not, that's not bad news. That's good news because you can't save yourself. The self-improvement plan, the self-trust plan is the plan to destruction. It's the path to destruction. It's the path to judgment. Your only hope, believer, is to distrust your own strength and lean upon the strength of Christ all the days of your life. You graduate high school. You can, but you can't graduate from repentance and faith. You do it every day. Not that you have to earn your salvation every day, but from the moment of salvation to the end of your days, you will, you will spend every day, it will be a work of, Lord, help me, receiving Christ, repenting of my sin, receiving Christ, repenting of my sin, trusting Christ, repenting of my sin. And it never transitions to, I got this now. It never does. And so, Peter here gets a loving warning from, from the Lord. Distrust your own strength. God gives grace to the humble. You know, the strongest believers are those who are most convinced of their own weakness. And they're, they're the most convinced of their need for Jesus. 
Oh, Lord, convince us. Convince us of our weakness more every day. Lord, convince me of my weakness more every day. So, again, chapter 13 brings on a sequence of events that cannot be stopped. It brings upon uh, the sequence of the cross, Jesus' final words to his disciples. Jesus' heart toward his disciples is to encourage them, is to uphold them. And Jesus' heart is the same to you tonight, to encourage you and uphold you. He is reminding you. He is empowering you. He is reminding you of his love. He is keeping you, Christian. And if you walked in here and you do not know the Lord of glory, the kindness of the Father, I pray that you would see him, that his arms are open to you, that his forgiveness is toward you, that his face is toward you, that he is a father that wants you to return to him. He will forgive you and give you a new life. And you will be able to say with Augustine, it is not I. It is not I, for I am I'm a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Lord, help us to, Lord, to trust your plan to, to meditate on the cross. Help us never to go far from the cross. And Lord, help us to not circle the wagons, but that we would fulfill our ministry that you have given us, that we would take it seriously, the call to glorify you, not perfectly, but continually. Lord, I pray that you'd help us love like you have loved. Thank you for the new example that you have given us, that you went to the, the depths of the earth, that you humbled yourself to the place of a servant. Lord, you took shame upon yourself so that we could be honored. You took poverty. You took rags so that we could be clothed in riches and that we could be receive your righteousness. Lord, and you empower us. You give us all the strength we need. What business do we have trusting ourselves? We don't. We fall upon your arms. Lord, our strength is not in us but in only you. God, continue to do your work in us to make us more like you and keep us near the cross. Amen.